Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Bacon Wire podcast. Today, we talk about MSU football's loss to Ohio State on Saturday, MSU basketball's big week with wins against Duke, UDM, and Western, and then Lucas and I sit down with former MSU quarterback Brian Lewerke. After that, we talk about the Lions, GM, and head coaching search. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not focusing on how I can beat Michigan and congratulating me for turning around a 3 and 9 team plagued with off the field issues, I'm Spartan Dog 97. That intro would have been a lot funnier if Brett had been able to join us, but he's not. So we have Lucas here, as always, and joining us today in Brett's place is Carter Landis, the guy from Twitter. What's going on, Carter? Hey, hey. What's up, fellas? Nothing. So, uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk about MSU football and MSU basketball. Obviously, we're an MSU podcast. But uh, we also have an interview with Brian Lewerke, which is super exciting. Uh, Lucas and I were able to sit down with him. Great interview. Really fun. We talked about the GOAT, um, a.k.a. Coach Bowman. Coach Bowman, if if you're listening to this podcast on a phonograph or whatever, please come out of the podcast. His his grandson records it on a cassette for him. <laughs> his, <laughs> his, his grandson presses a vinyl <laughs> of each episode. What he designed his run scheme on, too. <laughs> so, and then we're going to talk about the Lions a little bit before before we go. We might touch on Mando a little bit. Carter, you caught up on Mando, just so we know. I am. Yep. Okay. So yeah, cool. we'll we'll probably we'll probably touch on Mando a little bit. Uh, but first, let's talk about MSU football. Um, you know, to quote one of my favorite shows, "What Arrested Development?" Um, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> um, I really, I really didn't. But you know, the loss was one thing, right? I was expecting to lose to Ohio State. I think everyone in the Big Ten expects to lose to Ohio State. Yeah. Um, week in and week out, it's not. It's not surprising. When you lose, when you lose to the Buckeyes, you know it's not like losing to uh, Rutgers. You know what I mean. Um, but what I'm I'm very confused about Jay Johnson, uh, specifically uh, how he designs his how he designs his his scripted plays. Because it seems, it seems to me, just based on what I've watched, what I've watched so far, and what I've watched on Saturday, it seems like he wants the majority of his offense to come from RPO and from you know short and intermediate routes under 15 yards, where there's a lot of pick action, there's a lot of screens, our receivers are flying underneath each other, and the ball needs to leave the quarterback's hands quickly. Now, here's the problem. For a majority of this season, Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson and the rest of the staff have ridden a quarterback who, have, who do exactly zero of those things particularly well. Uh, Rocky is, is a physical runner, that's for sure. He's, he's great at throwing deep balls. I mean, that's, you know, I joke whenever I live tweet the games from the Bacon Warrior Twitter account. Uh, for MSU to run the touchdown play, 
which is essentially throwing it up to a receiver and just seeing what happens. But they hardly do that. And, you know, there's a quarterback on the sidelines who has shown in his limited action that he's not great at, he's still not great at doing the things that Jay Johnson wants to do. But at least having Peyton Thorne in the game, running those plays isn't a complete non-starter. And Carter, I want to start with you. Why is it that, you know, why does the staff continue to ride Rocky when he obviously doesn't do the things that the staff wants to execute? If I knew, I'd tell you. Truthfully, um, I think there's not a lot really that you can knock Mel Tucker and his staff for this year. Um, his personnel decisions are one of those things, and I think it's the biggest thing. Like we all knew going into the season that Rocky wasn't very good. Rocky has what is one redeemable quality as a quarterback, and and it's his ability, it's his touch on the deep ball. And honestly, I didn't even know about that until he was throwing these balls against Michigan Northwestern. Yes, he's a physical runner. He's a good athlete. He's not a good quarterback. You know, he has no touch on any throw other than like 50 yards. Uh, he is just not – he doesn't have quarterback talent. He's an athlete. He's a good athlete. That's it. I mean, we all thought Peyton Thorne or Theo Day was going to be that guy. Obviously, we haven't seen any of Day. But when Thorne comes in the game, he looks fine or looks like if he's further along developed, then he's going to be solid. Um, also, their use of Connor Hayward at first was not good. And then they learned that he's not a – he's not – a pure running back. He's a guy that you can throw to out of the backfield and send out wide on routes and throw to him, but don't hand him the ball up the middle, you know, because it's going to be the same thing that we've always seen, and that's nothing. And we've all been wondering where Elijah Collins is this year, and uh, we still haven't seen him. So, I mean, and it's it's fair to say, you know, it's it's we can give Mel a pass on – his personnel decisions because, you know, he doesn't – he hasn't had enough time with this staff. He doesn't know these guys that well. But it's pretty obvious, you know, that Rocky is not – Rocky and Hayward are, like, not the guys that you should be rolling with going forward. Like, And and Thorne kind of proved that this weekend, that, that he's going to probably be that guy for at least, you know, this next game and then maybe going forward into the season. So, I <laughs> – you know, I don't know why he stuck with Rocky so long. I mean, they made him look serviceable against Michigan and Northwestern, the games that they, you know, were – they needed to win, I guess I can say. But um, that one is – that one's confusing to me. It, it, it seems to me – and this isn't exclusive to Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker. You know, this is something that has driven me crazy. I've played – competitive travel sports almost my entire life. My siblings have played competitive travel sports almost their entire lives. My sister plays collegiate softball. I myself am a coach. I coach lacrosse. And it seems to me that coaches are hell-bent on making the player fit the scheme rather than making the scheme fit the player, you know? And what drives me crazy is that 
you have a player who is serviceable at fitting the scheme you run a run, and yet you continue to play a guy who is inc- who is unbelievably deficient at those things. I mean, and then on the flip side, when Thorne came into the game, they had a third and long um, out of their own end zone. And it was third, it was like third and 18. I don't know what, I think there was a holding penalty. I think Thorne got sacked. I, I blacked, I, I blacked most of that game out, except for the things I, I knew I wanted to talk about on the podcast. But uh, it was third and long. Thorne was standing like at the mid letters of the end zone. He was probably four yards deep in the end zone. And the play Jay Johnson has him run is a 25-yard hitch route. And, you know, Peyton Thorne, one of his big drawbacks and the reason why he didn't get the starting nod week one is that he doesn't have a good deep ball. His deep ball is practically non-existent. So I don't know what this kind of bizarro logic is where you take where you take the worst things that the quarterback you have in the game is at and you make them do it. It Lucas help. Can you help me make sense of like, of this, like this kind of weird, like bizarro logic that Jay Johnson is executing with his quarterbacks right now? Because I don't, I don't have the slightest idea. I, I wish I knew it's, it's, it's kind of infuriating at this point, like especially because Mel Tucker has said that Ohio State's the barometer, and when you lose by forty points, you're not even in the you're not close. Like you're n- nowhere near it. Like we di- we didn't think we would be, but I don't know why. I mean, I I don't know I. I'm just going to say that I don't know what Jay Johnson's doing. I wish I knew. Um, I'm not impressed with the guy. I've said that. I even said that after the Michigan game. I thought he called a good game, but I didn't think he'd be cutting. I didn't think he'd cut it with me. And um, I'm just a lowly fan, but I, if this is what we're going to have to see, you know, next year, and I, I hope Hamp Fay can breed some competition and if he can't then I'm a little nervous I think he can you know we've talked to him you know Brett watches his games um, I've caught a couple of his you know plays on on Twitter I if Jay Johnson's the guy that's going to be taking care of this offense for the Mel Tucker regime it's going to be a short regime that's that's really all I could say I have I have no clue what the hell he's doing with these scripted plays and um, as far as quarterback, I think it should be Peyton Thorne, like what Carter said. I think he should just ride the rest of the games. And you know that's not going to fucking happen. Rocky Lombardi's going to start against Penn State. I guarantee it. Unless, I mean, Rocky, Rocky looked lost. So, you know, I hope um, I had a tweet from the Bacon Wire Twitter account that um, was along the lines of, you know, I hope Rocky is okay. I legitimately do. Right. Seeing a player get up and look like that is terrifying. You don't want to see any human being look like they don't know where they're at. Right. Like they're, I'm, not, I'm not actively rooting against him. I right. just don't. Whether they're six years old or 96. But I put right. that – I put his injury on the staff – 
because he shouldn't have been fucking out there in the first place. <laughs> right. Like when it's 28 nothing at halftime, I, I, in my opinion, with the team you've got called, put, put the second stringers out or just mix them up. Like there, there's no point to really risk injuring people, you know, uh, going full, t- full speed after halftime with a game like that. You just, you could see it from the get go. And the last thing I'm going to say about Rocky is that, yeah, he kicks ass at throwing the deep ball for the most part. But what's really disappointing is that Michigan game could have been a blowout if he could complete those five-yard passes. Like, you know, how many times did they have third and five or third and three, and he couldn't complete a little dump route to the tight end or, you know, Hayward running up – or Hayward to the side. Like, that was just really – that was a great win, obviously, but that that's something that, you know, Brian Lewerke could do, or, or Brian Lewerke would just run for it. He'd just say, fuck it and go. Or, you know, Connor Cook would find the man. Like, that's – I know it's it's not fair to compare, you know, Lombardi to the all-time offense leader and the best quarterback in MSU history, but that's just the, that's just the way it is. And an observation, um, is it just me, and I, and, and I know that – Ohio State probably in the second half took their foot off the gas a little bit, but I think the offense looks so much better with Peyton Thorne under center. I mean, he just seems like he has much more like IQ. He knows how to make more reads, you know, he, and I know he's a redshirt freshman, but there's things he does out there that Rocky just simply can't do. I think, you know, he can make so many more throws. I think he's more mobile. Obviously he can't throw that deep ball as we know, but if you can go intermediate, if you can throw those slants and hitches and everything well, then, you know, you should be able to move an offense. But that's just, I, that's just something I was thinking is that once, once Thorne comes in the game for Rocky, it's, it's looks like a different team. Yeah. And I think this is, this is the other thing that drives me crazy too. The, the simple fact of like the play calling, the variety of plays, how fast, how much faster the offense moves when Peyton is in the game tells me that Jay Johnson trusts Peyton Thorne, trusts Peyton Thorne more than he trusts Rocky, which drives me fucking crazy when, when Rocky's not in the game. And uh, Will brought this up on Locked On today, but or Matt, Matt and Will, the co-host of Locked On Spartans. They, they brought this up um, in Tucker's post-game press conference, you know, which is very unpopular with, with the D'Antonio bots. We don't have to go there unless you guys Ugh, want. fuck those people. Yeah, fuck no, you. Um, if you think D'Antonio would do any better with this team, go fuck yourself. Um, yeah. And he, he, said that, he said that Peyton was good in spurts, and spurts wasn't good enough. Love that. And that's fine. Like, I'm not a, you know, Peyton, Peyton Thorne didn't look like Connor Cook 2.0 either. He had a couple bad, bad interceptions. And, again, he can't throw a ball deeper than 15 yards, which is not great for a quarter, which is not great. Mm-hmm. But at least the offense moves with a little more rhythm and is a little more consistent with Peyton Thorne out there. Now that might fall apart as the game goes along. Carter, I think you're right. I think Ohio State kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. They're like, let's save some energy for next week. <laughs> but yeah, I just I I don't I I truly, truly don't see why why they continue to play Rocky Lombardi. If he <laughs> if he comes out next week and starts against Penn State, who 
a team that we could very well lose to, by the way. They are they're rolling right now. They're feeling themselves. They've got momentum. They have momentum. We're coming in as a we're coming in as a 13-point underdog. You know, Tucker's done his best work as as massive underdogs, but it's it's not looking good. And if he if the staff would just go, okay. We're going to give up the deep play threat for a more consistent offense. I think the team would be a little more successful. Part of the reason why the score was so ridiculous was because the defense, who honestly played well to start, was getting gassed because Rocky couldn't, Rocky couldn't reach the sticks. He couldn't get the ball. He couldn't move the ball to the sticks. Same and he could Right. No, you're good. And these NFL caliber cornerbacks in secondary take away the deep ball. So when you take away the only thing a take away the only thing a quarterback does well, your offense is going to stall. Same story as 2018. Just, you know, like one of the best defenses and you have just the worst offense in football. It was just tale of two fucking sides of the ball with that squad and it's I don't want to say it's the same thing right now, but like it's a similar situation where the offense can't move. The defense is doing everything they can. Right. And that, that makes me happy. The, the work that Scotty Hazleton and Chris Kaplovich are doing is unreal. I thought the offensive line looked pretty fucking good given the circumstances. Um, we'll think so too, but if they keep riding Rocky because he can just throw the on the simple fact that he can throw the ball further than Peyton Thorne, then the Penn State game, the crossover game, should it happen, um, I have a feeling that everything but the Big Ten championship game is going to get canceled. Mm. Um, it's not needed. No, they're gonna they're gonna go. We're gonna, you know, should. Should Ohio State actually play? I think that's they're gonna axe the crossover game. I don't think, I don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're gonna go through with it. No. <clears throat> and then should should Michigan State be invited to a bowl and accept the invite? I don't know what what more you need to see out of Rocky. You know, right? We've talked about it for the last few weeks. Um, even in wins, he doesn't inspire much confidence. You said it yourself, Lucas. Michigan. We could have stomped Michigan's. We could have, we could have blown Michigan the fuck out if Rocky could have just done the little things. And speaking yeah, like, of, go ahead. All right, go ahead, Lucas. Well, yeah, like those dump passes would have been great. I'm not saying hit all of them. Not not everyone hits all of them. You know, you're not you're not Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Well, not Tom Brady. You're not Peyton Manning. But um, you're. That was just so frustrating, and these plays are scripted don't even work because he can't do that. It's, it's, it's not even, it's not even like these scripted plays are fucking ridiculous. They're not even so bad. They're good. Like the room, they're just bad. Like suicide squad. Like they're just bad. It's you're, you're scripting plays for a quarter. You're scripting plays based around like a week, a quarterback's weakness. If you're scripting plays, the only plays you should be scripting for Rocky Lombardi are four verticals. That should be the only, only things you're, you're scripting for Rocky are handoffs and four verticals because he can't do anything else. Yep. 
And the fact that you're trying to do all these complicated routes with, with him just shows that you, you either, one, don't know what you're doing, or two, you're trying to fit, fit a square peg in a round hole, which means you don't know what you're doing. And we're still run, run, passing. Right. And it's still, and it's still, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how often analytics people scream this from the rooftops, but passing on first down is infinitely more successful than, than passing on first down is so much more successful than running the football. It is Mm -hmm. insane how much more successful it is. You get more yards, it works more often and you have less and you have less third and longs and you go and you have to bring the punting team out less. The fact that we're still in the year of our Lord 2020 trying to trying to run between the tackles on first down when we have a running back core that's not particularly their strength. Like you're just you're asking to play losing football. When you're punting on fourth and one instead of going for it, you're playing losing football. And you know, I I like Mel Tucker. You know, I really do. I think he's going to have this program going in a good direction going forward. But I just need to see that he's willing to make a fucking change. I need to see Peyton Thorne start on Saturday. I need to see I need to see Jay Johnson open up the playbook a little bit. And if he's not willing to do that, then I need to see Jay Johnson fired. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little unfair to ask to ask someone to fire a coordinator in a COVID year when he didn't have a full offseason to repair X, Y, Z. But I don't know what you need to see to know that to know that what you're doing isn't working and you need to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> speaking of, you know, Lucas, I was, you kind of fucked up my transition. That's okay though. Sorry. Uh, so pretend the last five minutes didn't happen. Uh, speaking of speaking of th- teams that should have been that should have been blown out that that weren't. Let's talk about MSU basketball, huh, fellas? So we didn't get a chance to talk about Duke. So we can touch on Duke um, slightly if you if you if you want. Um, Lucas, for the first five minutes of that game, I thought it was just going to go how every Duke game ever has went. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was playing uh, Call of Duty and I was I had it on my iPad and I'm like you know, same song and dance like every fucking time we play Duke, this shit happens. But I'm like, you know, this is exactly how the final or the Elite Eight game went. Obviously, way different team, but like this is how it went. Like they were kicking our ass kind of at the beginning, and then, you know, we went on a run and then they closed the gap and then the whole second half was closed. But um, this team. I think size is going to be an issue, but that Duke game, seeing them go down 10 and then come back to win by six, and they were up, I think, 15, right, in the second half. They were up by yeah. 15. Yeah, Izzo, Izzo, Izzo took his foot off the gas. Um, he really could have stuck it to K. Like, yeah. I wish he would have, but – Wish to. Uh, K's done that so much to MSU. Yeah, K – yeah, last year at Breslin for Ooh. one. He never took his foot off the gas in that game, but – um, it was just nice to see that mental fortitude. And I know, you know, fuck the people who are going, well, there's no fans. Um, this was supposed to be a neutral site game in, uh, Chicago. I think, I think they were, Indi- I, I think they were doing it in Indianapolis. This Indianapolis. Year. Yeah. Chicago to Indianapolis this year. Yeah. Um, so 
no matter what, this was, I mean, this wasn't going to be just a cakewalk game for Duke. Um, Cameron Indoor is still Cameron Indoor, no matter what, no matter who or what is there. And that's a, that's a statement win. And, and it's nice, it's nice for this team to be undefeated so early. And, you know, you get your hopes up and you think Virginia is going to be an easy win. And I, I don't think setting that's going to be a nail biter. Um, we, we've had Virginia's number, but they've all been incredibly close. Like the 2014 game, the Sweet 16 game was MSU built leads, but Virginia would come back, and it was just like this this battle, this slow kick to the nuts. You didn't want to you didn't want to finish, didn't want to see end. And the the Travis Trice game that was still a close game. Um, but I like this team's mental mental fortitude. Um, we've seen better Izzo teams fall in those games and fall to opponents like the last two games. You know, they haven't been great, but I think Izzo's just trying to see what he's got. I'm not really that worried about it. The only thing that worries me is when Luca Garza comes to town, I think he's going to bend this team over. Yeah, um, I think that was the story in – the other two games that MSU played this week uh, off the top three games in six days is fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like I understand that under normal circumstances, this team would be playing two games a week and I get it, but three games in six days is three games in six days is fucking absurd. And, and like, if you want any notion, if you want to preserve any notion that these kids are still student athletes, right? The whole student athlete thing, then making a team play three games in six days, you know, a week and a half before finals is not, is not a good, is not a good, you know, is not a good example to point to. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to say that for first and foremost, I think, I think most of the people who listen to this podcast are on the same page when we say pay the fucking players. So um, we're all on the same page, pay the fucking players. Uh, that goes that goes without saying. Um, the 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 Detroit game I think is the more interesting game to talk about out of the three. Um, you know, Duke's Duke's been talked over and talked over. Um, our recording schedule kind of limits our ability to kind of have fresh takes on Duke. Um, it was a great win. Um, I really liked the fight of the team. Um, Aaron Henry's leadership was great to see. Uh, him yelling from the bench. Uh, I had a joke that that was proof positive of generational trauma, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like the leadership position Henry is taking, uh, the Detroit game, the Detroit game was interesting to me because I think a lot of it, um, obviously they played sloppy. Um, you know, that was, that's kind of been the story of the season so far for MSU is they played, they played sloppy. Um, in the opening, in the opening, you know, ten or so minutes of a game, but mm-hmm. I think part of what contributed to MSU struggles in that game, I think I, you know, I don't say this often about um, Tom Izzo, but I think he overcoached this one a little bit. He was playing lineups that had never played together before. He was yeah. he was getting guys early minutes that he probably could have gotten them later in the second half if he had just not fucked with that if he had just not fucked with the chemistry that the lineups have already had thus far and you know there unlike western there were points in the game where 
I true I with five minutes left, I truly felt like MSU was going to lose. Uh, Carter, yeah. you know, when you were, what were you thinking when you, when you were watching that game on Friday? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, there was a point. I don't know what their biggest deficit was. I think it was five or six or something like that. And I was like, every time, you know, every time that we close the gap or get a slight lead of like three or four, I'm like, okay, you know, then they they can start to pull away and then they just never would because Detroit would just not go away. And I had, you know, a certain, a certain tournament game in mind uh, that I shouldn't have. But oh. yeah, uh, that was, that was one of the things, but that was one Detroit's first game of the year Two, a coach that uh, has had Tom Izzo's number in the past, Mike Davis. I was ready to be like, mm, you know, uh, but yeah, that's, he's got his team playing hard. I mean, and they also had Antoine Davis, a guy who averaged like 29 points a game last year. He's one of the best scorers. In that kid's that, thank God that, thank God Antoine Davis was, oh, was, oh, was 0 for 9 from 3 yeah. because then because then MSU really would have been in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Um you, the the Titans are a team I the Titans are a team I'd love to see in March. I really hope I really hope they're able to do something in the Horizon League and either get either get a either get the AQ bid or maybe try to snag an at large out of somewhere, but I really really hope that that we see Detroit come come tourney time because I think they could I think behind Antoine Davis they could make a little noise. Yep, that's a tough squad. Yeah, um, and I I don't know about you guys, but I I'm I think I'm more of a Bingham believer than a lot of people. I know you know some folks are are kind of you know ready for the Bingham experiment to end, but for me I think that he needs to play the most center minutes going forward just because I. This team has no paint presence, I think, whatsoever right now, like no matter what they do, because Kithier is definitely not it. I mean, Joey Hauser's good, but he's not going to defend the biggest guy on the floor. Bingham is really the best hope of that, and although he did put on some muscle, he still looks pretty skinny and slim <laughs> out there. But the thing is, is it's rare that a guy is going to get a shot up over Marcus Bingham. And that's the whole thing about it is he can he's going to protect the rim for you. And, I don't think anybody else in the team is really going to do that. I know we've seen growth from Julius Marble that maybe only maybe only a certain somebody would have seen coming. Uh, <laughs> who likes to who likes to post videos in his car? Hey, listen, but, um, we're 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 friends. You we're know, friends. We're soldier, friends. Soldier, it's the Spartan hoops and bacon wire. We love we love soldier. We we're we tight. love soldier. Just, tight. He I'm he was a little soldier. He was a little he was a little higher on Marble than a lot of us, but uh, he but it's it's looked good so far because he looks pretty good. But I think Bingham needs yeah. to be the, the center going forward. Okay. I, I I don't know about I don't know I don't know what to make of Marcus Bingham honestly because <clears throat> uh, Matt 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 has termed Matt Sheehan has termed it the Marcus Bingham experience. Yeah, uh, you know where he'll make a great block yeah. and he'll make a good pass and he'll fight for the ball and on on the glass and he'll do all these great things. And then he'll, and then he'll goaltend a shot that obviously wasn't going to go in and shoot a three and then shoot a mid range jumper. You know, I don't trust, I'm not sure Bingham's decision-making is there yet in order for him to get the kind of minutes uh, Xavier Tillman would get, for example. Uh, I, I personally, you know, this isn't just blowing smoke up our French soldiers ass, but I truly, I'm, I'm astonished with 
the the growth I've seen out of Julius Marvel so far. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's to the point where if Bingham is going to keep doing the things that Marcus Bingham does, um, jumping early and putting his hand down so the guy is able to get a shot, uh, goaltending balls that obviously aren't going to go in, taking jumpers that he knows he's not going to make, then I'm ready to give the lion's share of the minutes at five to Julius Marble. Now, is Julius Marble going to stop Luca Garza? No, but I don't think I don't think Bingham's going to either, honestly. And and I don't know what the answer is at five. It was an obvious deficiency before the season. We all kind of knew it. Um, we were looking. You know, I think I, I think I was a big advocate for going. I think in our preseason preview, Carter, I said I think we should spend a lot of time playing small ball and having either Hauser or Malik call at five. And, you know, one thing I do know for sure is, you know, no offense. Um, I know the kid through your family; they're great people. I Thomas Thomas just isn't gonna Thomas just isn't gonna get it done. I don't. I haven't seen the growth out of him that I need to see. He had a good sequence yesterday against Western Michigan, but he was also getting bullied a lot under underneath, um, getting pushed around a lot. Lucas, what do you what do you make of what do you make of Kithier here in year three? Meet Cassius and Tillman into the stars. They are. <laughs> uh, okay, thank don't you. Pick, don't pick. Don't pick on. Don't pick on Jane like that, man. She's a nice lady. I'm sure she's a nice lady. Um, <laughs> I I think Kithier's fine in in substitutions or spurts, but um, spurts don't I, win you games. Mel Tucker, Lucas, yes, yeah, Mel, yeah, <laughs> on the whiteboard. I think he's he's a fine piece, but yeah, I'd I'd much rather ride with Marble and Bingham. Like Bingham being my primary than Marble, and then if they both get in foul trouble, sure, put Kithier in, but. I mean, how Hauser is pretty as a beast, so I, I think he could at least help out with someone like Luca Garza. I don't think he could stop him, but I keep saying Luca Garza because that—that's the one game that I'm just like dreading at this point. With, with two the games, doesn't two have. games, two games. I can't wait. It's gonna be <laughs> but you never know. Like it, that's the type of guy that you might just let him cook, and then just stop everyone else from scoring. I mean, I think that's I think that's going to be the key to beat Iowa. Uh, let him let him get fifty points, but win by three. You know, <laughs> I've talked we've I've talked about this in our in our preview. You know, like I don't understand all the Iowa hype because they're returning essentially the same team that they were last year, and they were abhorrent on de- their defense last year is a is a fucking war crime. Was a war crime. I mean, they were bleeding points everywhere. Yeah, like you you can't sustain winning games ninety to eighty five. No, and you know Bohannon's a knockout shooter. McCaffrey yeah. is McCaffrey's a, a serviceable point guard, mm-hmm. but but if you're gonna not play defense and you're just gonna go okay, Luca, you got to go get sixty. That's not gonna that's not gonna carry you to the final four. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not gonna carry you throughout an entire Big Ten schedule. No. <clears throat> I mean, it'll probably get him player of the year, but... Oh, yeah, it'll get him national player of the year, Big Ten player of the year. He'll win. He'll win every fucking award there is to win for, for Luka right. Garza. And because he'll be, Obi Toppin's not there anymore. 
Right. He'll be a he'll be a high ass lottery pick. He'll be a top five pick, no doubt. But you're you're not gonna you're not gonna win a natty. You might not even win the Big Ten if you're if you're doing if you're just relying on Luca Garza to go get you fifty points and and hope the other team just has a bad night from beyond the arc. I think it's gonna be between MSU in Wisconsin for the top spot in the Big Ten. I think Iowa's going to make a fight, and but I just don't think they're going to – I don't think they're going to have the, the wins to really be the number one seed in the conference. I don't no. see it. They're, they're not. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Izzo does with the five position going forward. You know, he's, he's, he's not stupid. Um, right. He knows the kind of talent he has. He know he knew that going in center was going to be a deficiency. Um, and you know until until Maddie is until Maddie is ready or right. Um, oh my God! I can't believe I'm blanking on a gauntlet player. Um, the center from Canada, who's going to reclassify Enoch Bolaki. Enoch Enoch Bolaki. Um, until he Sorry comes in and maybe proves this, maybe proves this stuff, then I don't know what the. And know what the I'm not trying is. to. All I'm not I trying know to is. Garza. Yeah, all I know is, fellas, the long-term answer at center isn't isn't currently playing for MSU. That's 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 all I know for sure. It's still um, going to be a fun season. I could be wrong. If Marble continues this upward progression that he's on right now. He could definitely be that player. Right. <laughs> but he could be like the second, not on the level of, but like how Tillman saw that progression from year one to year two. You know, like yeah. throughout that 18-19 season, he became more and more important. I could see Marble doing that. And I even, I think I said that a couple weeks ago, like Marble could be responsible for a cup for like one or two Malik Hall type games where he balls out and saves the team. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about too, before we got to Brian Lewerke, um, is Foster. Um, you know, I said before the season that the team was kind of going to go how Foster is going to go. And obviously I was wrong. Um, I'm, you know, it just, it just sucks, you know, to see, you know, he, he comes out, scores 20, and then he just kind of like, he kind of comes back down to earth a little bit. We were expecting that, right? Mm-hmm. against a team who wasn't playing zone. But, you know, he kind of looks like the Foster who was always there. And that's kind of yeah. disappointing. You know, I was mm-hmm. at least – if he wasn't going to – if he wasn't going to be a walking bucket like he was against Eastern, I was at least expecting him to be a little more confident with the ball in his hand, a little bit a little bit less hesitant to shoot, um, you know, see the court a little bit better. And he's not doing any of those things. Uh, you know, Carter, like, is this just who Foster is at this point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he, I think he busted Eastern Michigan's zone, but then I think that that was a, I think that that was a, I don't know, just, I don't know what to call it. What I guess a one-time thing is, is what I'm going to come to, but yeah, I mean, other than like outside of that game, he just looks like the same Foster that we'd seen in the past. And you know, he just looks like he doesn't really know what to do with the ball when he gets it. Or, you know, we saw him 
drive the lane, I think, against Detroit Mercy, which resulted in disaster. So if he's not shooting, then he's not really providing anything. And obviously him being so small on the floor brings nothing defensively. And it's unfortunate, too. I mean, like, we all root for him. We all want to see the best Foster that we can see. But it's just – I at this point, I mean, I don't know – is it going to come? Because it's, you know, it's his junior season. We're almost, and he, he he's not, he's not going to play anymore of a rocket because rocket's taking that job and he's not going to look back. So, I mean, I think that, that the foster we saw against Eastern Michigan was not, was not a body experience for foster. Unfortunately. It's, it's just disappointing. Cause I remember seeing him play in high school. He played my alma mater uh, in 2018, I think. No, it, it'd have to be earlier than that. It was 2017, maybe? Um, his senior year, I think. Um, and he, he's, he was lights out. I mean, he's a lights out shooter. He looked, he looked completely different than how he looks now. And I just, you know, we heard reports, right, coming in February that he was missing he was just missing open shots in practice like he had no confidence he wouldn't shoot the ball in practice Izzo was super frustrated with him it's rumored that we didn't even offer Fletcher because because of how because of how soured Izzo was with Foster and his performance and it just it it sucks to see to see someone be so to be so broken you know to have confidence that's just so busted you know, Lucas, like what, is there any way Foster can dig himself out? Well, he can, he can rest his head on the fact that he's currently averaging six points a game. It is better than 3.2. Um, that's, that's just a random number. I happen to think. Yeah, of. You get that no, one. yeah I don't know how you got that one. Uh, that's true. I know. <laughs> it, you know, but he can hang his head on that. I really – Call me crazy. I thought he did fine in the Duke game. Yeah, he only had five points, but like he kind of he came in and and didn't really fuck up a ton. He hit a nice three, and he shot some free throws near the end to help them win the game or to finish it off. Um, but I just saw I didn't get to watch the game last night. I'm going to watch the replay, so that's that's my fault for not being prepared for this uh, podcast. But um, I saw that he put up zeros. Pretty like he had two rebounds and an assist, or one and two, one rebound, two assists. I I just don't think we're gonna see. I, I think this is the Foster we get. Is that this is this is it? Like three, four points a game, and you know if he gets more than that, it's a blowout one way or another. Or he has one of those games in his pocket, like that Ohio State game his freshman year in the Big Ten tournament that helped them win that game. Um, I just, I don't hate him, but I've just never been a fan of him. And from how he was recruited and stuff, like the stuff that I read or heard, you know, it was, it was, it's interesting, but, um, he tries, it's obvious he tries, but like when you watch him against Duke or, or like when you see him matched up, we're sitting next to Maddie Sissoko on the on the court you're just like damn like you kind of wonder like is he is he meant for this but um I think he's staying like I don't think he's going to transfer I think he's going to well never mind I don't know I'm not going to speculate on that but um 
I think this is the foster we're going to get. It's the one we've always had. And um, that Eastern game was nice, but it was, it's going to be the ultimate outlier of the year out of any other player on the roster. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, it, it's really, it really sucks the situation Foster is in, but you know, Lucas, like you said, and to kind of tie it together to our whole conversation about MSU athletics this weekend, uh, he puts in a lot of effort and Mm -hmm. you know, that's one thing that can't be taken away from both the football and the basketball team. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, my motto last week for the game against Ohio state was just cover baby, a play on Al Davis's just win baby. Does MSU cover the 13 points against Penn State? <clears throat> oh, Carter, what do you think? I may sound like a pessimist, but I mean, overall, I think this season, that's kind of where, we're all, where we are, and I'm going to say no. I, like, I really think that – I hope I'm wrong, but I really think this team is just going to come out flat. They're going to be completely deflated from last week and Penn state's rolling with all their momentum and they're, they're, they're going to kick, they're going to kick our ass. Mm -hmm. Uh, As much as that sucks to say, I mean, if, if we see Rocky out there, it'll be a lot of the same. Uh, If we see Peyton Thorne, it'll be slightly better, but not really. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I feel like we're in for a sour ending season and that's fair because, you know, this season was kind of never meant to happen and there was – we were going to be up against it the whole time. Uh, but there's a lot of excitement, I think, going forward, you know, into this off season, There's going to be a ton of attrition. There's going to be a maybe entirely new team coming in, you know. There's going to be a ton of new faces. A lot of the familiar ones won't be there because Mel Tucker is working with the crumbs of D'Antonio's cupboard. And – you know, how many how many Power 5 teams would Rocky start on other than and then MSU? I think you can probably count – you can probably count it on your hand. Uh, there's some – there's definitely some talent on this team, um, but we're probably going to see a new landscape of MSU football next year. But I think to go back to the point, I don't think they're going to do too well on Saturday. I'd love yeah, to be wrong. I'm thinking 21-point loss. If Penn State was 0-7 – I would, I would probably go, yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to go 0-8. Like, I think we can go in there and knock them down. But, I mean, that Michigan win just completely changed their season. And it's still a shit season for them, but it's not complete shit. It's, 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 a, it's in the middle type of shit. No, James Franklin did just enough to save his job. So, yeah. Um, if he lost to Michigan, he probably would have gotten fired. Yeah, I, I, I truly think they cover. I think they're going think, to – I think Tucker's serious. Um, when he talks about, you know, looking at the film and being sick. Uh, I know people prepare for post-game recaps by re-watching the game, you know, on YouTube. Uh, shout out to the man, Andy RHCMB. Uh, you the man. Uh, true, true, true goat. But, you know, I I think we cover the spread, but I think ultimately the Lane Grant Trophy stays, stays in Happy Valley, which sucks. Oh. <sighs> By the way, quick plug, I am doing a written interview with the Land Grant Trophy that's dropping this week on BaconWire.com. The only reason he's not coming on the podcast is because he is a trophy and does not speak. So (laughs) there's that. Uh, Let's get to what you've all tuned in for. You listened to us talk for 50 or so minutes about MSU athletics. Let's talk about – let's – 
let's get to it. Lucas and I sat down with Brian Lewerke. We talked to him about the billboards outside of Kalamazoo, his career at MSU, and the GOAT Jim Bowman. So you'll listen to that, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back to talk about the Detroit Lions. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is former quarterback of the MSU Spartans, Brian Lewerke. Brian, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good, good. So, uh, you know, we, we're, we're happy to have you on, and uh, we want to start with Billboard Gate. Uh, you know, Lucas, you're the one who saw it, so, like, can you describe, like, what happened, like, what the situation was? Well, I was – my wife was driving the opposite way on 94 and I happened to glance at this billboard and it was the one that said, you know, miss him yet total offense leader. And I'm just like, what? And if I drove the car, I probably would have drove up, driven off the road. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, after Thanksgiving, I decided to go, you know, hunt the billboard down and find it. And I took those pictures, you know, the rest is history. Um, what, what did, I just want to know, like, what did you think when you saw these? I was, I was just as shocked as you were. I mean, the first, the first time I saw, I think it was when you, when you tagged me, I saw a picture on Twitter. I was like, uh, that's a, that's all interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's pretty cool. Some, some guy out there loves me, but it was, it was definitely interesting. Yeah. I thought it was weird because like normally when people do like miss him yet, it was because they were like, they were like fired or like ran out of town, yeah. and it was like you graduated. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like he was. I know, it's not like I had an option like come back. <laughs> so uh, we we had, um, speaking of your time at MSU, um, I kind of want to ask you about your recruitment. You know, we're talking to a lot yep. of recruits that are upcoming. Uh, what was your kind of recruitment process like? What drew you to MSU from Arizona? Um, I guess I, it's kind of hard to speak on it now just because Tucker's uh, the head coach, but Coach D was the main reason um, that I went there. And, you know, it's just how, how he controlled himself and, you know, just his, his demeanor with the team I loved. Um, and, he, and the entire coaching staff they had there. Obviously, they're, they'd put out a good amount of NFL quarterbacks too, so that was something that was attractive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I – Cold weather, I didn't really think too much about that. I didn't, I didn't really put that into my decision as much as maybe I should have, but um, it turned out pretty well. So Yeah, that was my next question. It was like, did you know like how cold it got in Michigan? Like, did you have family here? <laughs> uh, I think that was the first time I've ever been to Michigan was for my visit. And it was, it was for the spring game in 2014. And I think it was like 65 and sunny that day. I was like, oh, this is perfect. I love this. This is awesome. And then obviously the winters came and, it was definitely a lot colder than anything I'd experienced. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's for sure. I have family who lives in Phoenix, and when yep. they come here in July, they're wearing like winter coats. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm already used to the Arizona weather too. Like it's it's like 50 degrees out, and I'm wearing sweatshirts and like sweatpants. <laughs> so uh, we kind of wanted to ask you about like what uh, what you're up to right now. You know, are you back in Are you back in Arizona? Uh, I have been, yeah, actually right now I'm in Houston. Um, I have a tryout with the Texans on Friday. Um, so I got that going on and then something happens with there. I might stay here. If not, I'll be back in Arizona just living. So that's, that's exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, obviously, um, we, we also wanted to 
you know, ask you, Lucas has a few questions, but uh, what is your, you know, when you look back at your time at MSU, like what's your, what's your fondest memory? Fondest memory. Um, Game wise. I mean, the, the whole 2017 season was awesome. Just being able to come back after a year that was disappointing and bring, bring the team back to um, obviously not big 10 championship level, but just back to, you know, winning a bowl game against a good team and um, having that whole experience. Obviously 2015 was awesome. I didn't play that year, obviously, but going to the playoffs, winning the big 10 championship, that was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, just, just being with all the guys and making a ton of friends there and, Guys, I still talk to now: Joe Bocci, Kenny, Tyler Higby, all those guys. Um, it's pretty fun. Yeah, sweet. Um, speaking of MSU, I just want to ask because you know the one of the billboards was you know total offensive leader. Um, like what? I kind of wonder. You know, every quarterback has a different answer when they break a record, especially that big of a record for that big of a school. Like, who or what do you kind of credit like to help you get to that point? And I know it could be. This is kind of a cheesy question, but I just was curious to pick your brain about that one. Yeah, uh, I mean, we had, we, I had great players around me, and that helped. Um, I, you know, obviously, I didn't have the most passing yards, so being able to run, my running ability definitely helped that as well. I think I had 1,300 rushing yards, something like that, in my career. Um, so that was, that was definitely really cool. Um, but just, you know, the coaching staff and the players I had around me was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we wanted to ask you a little bit more about the 2017 season. You know, you were coming off um, a 3-9 season. Uh, a lot of people weren't really knowing what to expect from, from you guys. Um, you know, you got off to kind of a hot start. Like, what, like what was the feeling in the locker room like go, kind of going into that first game and leading all the way up to, all the way up to that Michigan game in Ann Arbor? Yeah, I mean, we started off the season, um, we had Notre Dame, second game, I think, and that was definitely one that we should have won. I, th- I, I think just, you know, with my couple turnovers I had, we could have won that game. Um, and that would have made, a, I think, a big difference this season as well. But just it, it kind of kept building on, it, on itself, knocked, up, knocked off a couple t- top ten teams. Um, and we just kept playing well, and it kind of just turned out it was us versus Ohio State in the in, in the horseshoe for basically the Big Ten Championship and the winner of that went to it. So um, we didn't come out on top, but it was still, you know, that, that entire season was definitely big for us um, coming out of the, the 16 season. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was nice to come off of that season and then be in, what, mid-November and still playing for the chance to go to Indy. That was nice to have that feeling back, even though it felt like just – even though it was one year – it felt yeah. like, you know, eternity just because of how that season just went down. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially the, the whole off-season stuff in 16 and having yeah. the turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and coming off, you know, off that 2017 season, like the Michigan game, you know, that's one I'll never forget. Um, how did it feel to beat Michigan in the first, you know, in your first year as the starter, like as the guy? Like how did it feel, especially, you know, afterwards – you know, they wouldn't give you credit at all. You know, that's the Michigan difference. They never give you credit. They said it was raining. The field was probably crowned. Yeah, there's, there's always excuses. It was – there was probably a snowstorm that we didn't see or something. How how good did it feel to walk out of the big house with Paul Bunyan? 
it was it was very special. I, I I think at the time I might not have even realized how special it was just uh, being you know they were they were I think number seventeen in the nation on the road yeah. with, the, with all that rain. Um, it was st- it, it still is my my most favorite game that I played in. Um, and just to start off my first year with that, uh, that was that was very special. Yeah, I. I wanted to ask you about the Michigan rivalry just in general, because, you know, you're obviously from the other side of the country. I kind of wanted to get a grasp of before you came to Michigan state, what was your understanding of, of this, of that rivalry and how did coach D kind of, kind of elevate, elevate it to, to you and to your, and to your teammates who are coming from out of state. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, I didn't. I didn't know a ton about the rivalry being from so far away, and that's something that we all, it's like the guys that come from you know the western side of the U.S., uh, find out pretty quickly what it's about. And you know, we we definitely circle that game on our calendar, and and the uh, the team meeting the night the night before, they'll have guys call in, um, and it's like recorded talking about just how they want to beat the crap out of Michigan and just completely destroy them, and how everyone hates them. And, um, it gets us all motivated and pumped up, and it's it's pretty cool. Hell yeah! Um, so I this is going to be off topic because uh, Spartan Dog and I were talking about this question before before you came on. Um, you know, I'm 33, I'm balding, and I'm I'm always jealous of good hair. And you always had a great fade. You know, when we when we'd see at the press conference or you know off season uh, media appearances like the car washes you did. Um, where is there Spartan dog says that there's a barber in the Scandalaire center. Like, where did you get that haircut done? Um, it was actually a barber. It was over by the uh, Meridian mall. Okay. Um, I had, I had a guy named Tyler that, uh, would able to squeeze me in some, some times. And, um, so I, I made sure I always had a good haircut if it was like a nationally televised game. (laughs) You know, uh, what's that Deion Sanders quote? Look good, play good, play good. Exactly. <laughs> Look, good. Look good, feel good, play good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 100% exactly. We, we kind of wanted to ask you too, Brian, um, if you've been keeping tabs on MSU this season, you know, obviously there's a new staff in and, you know, we wanted to know as a former player and alumni of Michigan State what you think of Coach Tucker's, you know, kind of job in his first season. Yeah, I think he was probably thrown into the most difficult situation <laughs> of any coach in the nation, you know, being um, having to come in late, first of all, into the year and then in a season with COVID. So he can't have, you know, any spring ball or any um, fall camp practices that kind of got pushed back and the season got canceled, all that stuff. I think he's done a great job um, so far. Beating Michigan in his first year, um, that was really cool. We were all so pumped to watch that game. And even in like the middle of that, like second quarter of that game, I was like, I he's kind of had that feeling that that we were going to win. It didn't matter what the score was. He, I just kind of had that feeling. Um, so I think he's done great, and I kind of, I'm kind of upset with all the COVID. I I wish I I could go back and like go to a couple games and kind of pick the coaches' brains and see what they're doing because I don't really know like their specific play calls and all that right now. And obviously, I did last year. I could have been able to see it on TV and kind of call it out, but um, I'm. I wish I could know exactly what they're doing and just kind of diagnose a little bit. It'd be kind of cool. Interesting. So um, I wanted to ask you, Coach Coach Bowman is a um, is is a guy of special interest to me. 
what's what's he like? Like I'm I, I'm so interested in just the way Colts Bowman just like exists as a human being. Like, what's he like? Like during practice, on the sidelines during games. Um, he he had this. Uh, um, he never wore pants during practice, no matter how cold it was. That was that was like his thing. He always wore shorts, even if it was like ten degrees outside. He he'd have like three puffy jackets on and just shorts. And he'd be he'd be freezing, but out that was just the thing he did. And he was a very laid back guy and um, kind of like a little grandpa figure for all the players. And he was he was a really cool coach to be around. Obviously, he had been around football for forever, so he knew a lot. That's it. That that's. That's incredible. Like I could just yeah. imagine <laughs> uh, right. uh, that he's like, he's like the little brother from a Christmas story up top, just easy breezy beach vacation on the bottom. Could, yeah. I, I don't know why I'm so interested in Colts Bowman, but uh, we were talking to one of the social media guys and I asked him if he thought coach Bowman knew what a gif was. No, not a, know- <laughs> <laughs> not a chance. I, I would- I would be surprised if he ran his own Twitter account, much less had a kid. <laughs> that Coach Bowman is like a dream interview of mine, just because I want to see like how we would how we would do Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd, he'd probably have like a computer like this, just like talking. <laughs> <laughs> not even knowing that it's not on his full face. Uh, so yeah, to wrap this up, Brian. Uh, we're recording this at 7 – it's like 7.20 right now on Tuesday. MSU's about to tip off against Duke. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I got it. I actually got it on the TV right back here when it turns on. Um, I'm very excited to watch this game. Uh, I think we – Duke's kind of had our number the past few years or so, and I remember watching – we were at a bar watching um, them beat them, beat them in the tournament last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was a ton of fun to be at, and um, I'm expecting a lot of big things. They they had two good games so far. Defense is looking very good, um, so I'm excited for the game. I, I watched that Elite Eight game in, like, a quarter full Applebee's, and <laughs> everyone was, like, I was going nuts, and everyone was, like, everyone thought I was, like, having a – everyone thought I was having an episode – the fact that the co- the fact that I didn't have to talk to a cop after that game is a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you know, I had to watch it from the. Thing. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Sorry, I was I was saying Fieldhouse in uh, East Lansing. That was that was a win. All my buddies watched it. Yeah, that that I can imagine Fieldhouse being a bit of a different environment. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I have to watch them from the comfort of my home. Like I don't want to be around. <laughs> like an Applebee's in case like there's Michigan fans, then I'm going to want to be like Randy in South Park, you know, what, yeah. what do you want to do, huh? What do you want to do? <laughs> but, yeah. It, I'm looking forward to tonight. I mean, we all know how MSU basketball can start. So it's like not the end of the world is, you know, yeah. but it's still, it's still cool to play Duke again. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Brian, good luck on Friday with Houston. Uh, we're rooting yeah, for luck. you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and come out with us. And just for whoever paid the billboard, if you're listening, yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate whoever did it. <laughs> Thanks, man. We're really yeah, thank it. you so much, Brian. No problem, guys. 
Looking for the ultimate stocking stuffers this holiday season? Look no further because our sponsors, Manscaped, have the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and hygiene products and great news, they just released their products across Europe, Canada, and Australia. Before Manscaped, I never really shaved down there. You know, maybe like once a month. I'm ashamed to admit it once a year, but now I'm shaving every week. A few of their products that are prime stocking stuffers this season are the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. The name speaks for itself. The Crop Reviver Ball Toner, a spray-on toner that'll give your balls a little slice of heaven with our aloe vera and hazel extracts. The Crop Cleanser Body Wash, a full body wash that you can also use on your hair. Fellas, you know how much we love our two and three in ones. The Crop Mop Ball Wipes. You never know when an opportunity strikes, so you should always be prepared. Our Foot Duster Foot Deodorant, designed to keep the stankiest smelling feet fresh. Uh, Shears 2.0, a luxury four-piece nail kit. And the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Trimmer, which provides proprietary skin-safe technology to get rid of those nasty nose hairs. And let's not forget about the best trimmer for your butt, balls, and body. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmers offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce grooming accidents. All of these formulations are vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, so you know they're legit. You can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with promo code BACON. Whether this is for your partner, your dad, a brother, a friend, Get them something that they will actually use, and it's almost sure to get a laugh. So get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped with promo code BACON. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. All right, we're back. So, the Detroit Lions won a football game. Wow. wow. Uh, yeah, can we get a quick wow? Wow. Uh, wow. 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 Um, the Chicago Bears managed to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Uh, very cool, very swag. And just completely said, fuck you, Matt Nagy. We don't want you to coach us anymore. Get the fuck out of town. And now I have to be worried about whether or not the Lions are actually going to hire Darryl Blevel. So that's awesome. I'm so excited that they did that. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we're now picking 12th instead of eighth um, <laughs> projected. It's just fucking great. Everyone knows the 12th pick is better than the eighth pick. That's just fucking uh, great. I've always wanted Ian Book to be the Lions quarterback. I never wanted anyone else. We can go get Ian Book in the fourth round. That'll be awesome. Can't fucking wait. Touchdown, Jesus, coming to Detroit. Fucking incredible. Uh, and if and if and if the Lions go nine and seven, they have a ninety-one percent chance of the playoffs. Yeah, if the Lions went out, we could make the playoffs and then get our fucking nose rubbed in white dog shit by the New Orleans Saints uh, or the uh, the Packers. Could just yeah, play. yeah, we could go. We could go over three. We could go over three against the Packers. That's always <laughs> fun. Um, I would love. I would love nothing more than to watch the line a Lions Packers playoff game with my Packers friend. And hear an unending amount of shit being talked from him. That'll be fucking great. 
But honestly, um, I I want to talk about I want to talk about the Lions GM vacancy for a minute because I think it's important. Um, it's Dave Burkett posted um, had an article in the Free Press today about how a lot of potential GM candidates for the Lions are concerned at the fact that the Lions don't have a don't have a football minded president. Um, <laughs> fucking epic epic shit that's dope that's so fucking cool uh and you know we kind of talked about we we talked i i've talked about it all right when when you have i even talked about this last week carter did you by the way before we get into this did you listen to the pod last week which who was on <laughs> that was the akil pod oh. No, I didn't. I still have to tune into that. Okay. So just to recap, when we talked about the lines last week, I, I basically, I, I floated, I floated the idea where I would, I would basically try to get the forts canceled because Henry Ford was a Nazi sympathizer, uh, anti, anti Semite. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that, do you think that's a, do you think that's a winning strategy? Uh, I did a similar thing when I wanted the Falcons to fire Dan Quinn. I said, I have video proof of, of Dan Quinn calling Grady Jarrett a racial slur. So I will go forward with this. So yeah, no, I, I, I'm totally in favor of you doing that. So this is, thank you for that. So back to this, back to this situation, (laughs) you know, uh, Maddie brought up a good point and Valeni brought it up too, is when you have when you have owners who have never had to work a day in their life, right? They they've just lived off the the immense wealth that their that their forefathers generated for them. And the most the most they've actually had to do was pick out which set of silverware to have at a fundraising dinner. You're gonna get you're gonna get decisions like hiring the family banker, who, whose whose most experience he's had with sports was planning the old timey baseball game they play at Greenfield Village, to run an, to run one of the thirty two NFL franchises. And when you do things like that, you turn off a lot of good candidates. And this is what worries me going forward because as far as GM candidates go, there are three spots open right now. <clears throat> there's us, there's Houston, which I would say out of the teams with coaching vacancies right now is probably in the best of best position to start competing right away. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Carter, your Atlanta Falcons, who I would say – you're you're neck and neck with the Falcon. You're neck and neck with the Texans for being for being ready to compete right away. You might you know you might need a couple more pieces here and there than than Houston. But on top of that, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine other I have nine other jobs that could potentially be open come Black Monday. Um, not all of these are necessarily GMs. GM vacancies too, just coaching ones. But 
if you're not going to attract a quality GM because they're worried about the they're worried about the the hierarchical structure of the franchise, then you're not going to hire a quality coach. And when you look at the other jobs that are that are more likely than not going to be open, yeah, I I start to get a little worried because you have the Jets who you know are dumpster fire, but Woody Johnson's going to come back in March full of piss and vinegar <clears throat> because his because his butt buddy lost because his butt buddy lost the election, so he's going to be pissed off and going to want to make a whole bunch of structural changes to the franchise. You're going to have the Chargers who have a, who have a promising quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, I I cannot see them keeping Anthony Lynn. I just cannot. No, he's he's pretty bad. Whether the GM stays, I'm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in the know. I'm not a Chargers fan. I can't tell you. But I would imagine if they fire Anthony Lynn, they're probably going to fire the GM as well. Um, you have Jacksonville, which is probably going to fire everybody. Um, I can't see. Yeah. I can't see them. They're going to have a top five pick. The Jets are going to ha- – I think the Jets all but locked up the number one pick um, with their with their incredible loss. <laughs> <laughs> talk about snatching, awesome. talk about snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. I wish Matt said that I, I steal like 30% of my shit from Matt Sheehan. So Matt, if you're listening, like, thank you. It's like, I wish I was a fan of a franchise that was that committed to losing. Yeah. That was just incredible. Uh, you yeah, have cover zero points. Hilarious. You have Chicago, which you know, they need a quarterback, but their defense is probably still probably one of the best in the league. Um, you just, and they have Anthony Miller, who, if you're able to retain is going to be, is going to be a top 10 receiver with the right guy. If you pair him with the right guy, you have Philly, which, you know, Philly, Philly, Philly's up in the air. I could see them giving more. I could see them giving Peterson one final chance. Um, but, I, I think I think I think Peterson is probably going to get himself a couple extra years just because he won the Super Bowl. But you know he's the honeymoon is definitely over. Um, Denver is probably going to be open. Um, I could even see them firing Elway. Uh, that's truly where I think they're at. Although although the the own the the ownership of the team being up in the air kind of complicates things there, but. <clears throat> I think Fangio, I think Fangio's definitely fired. And then yeah. Cincinnati, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure what Zach Taylor's future is in Cincinnati. I could see I could see them pulling the plug on on Zach Taylor sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, the other two teams I have are the Cowboys and the Giants. Um Jer- I think Depending on depending on Zach's recovery timetable, the the Cowboys may just may tell McCarthy to go fuck himself because he basically lied on his job application. And the Giants, I can see holding on to Judge for another year. He seems to be things seem to be clicking there. Yeah, uh, that was a hell of a win yesterday. But mm-hmm. I think I think that remains to be seen. So we're talking. We're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're talking about twelve potential job openings, and in terms of desirability, I would say Detroit's probably tenth or eleventh. Mm. 
one, you have to pay state income taxes. So that's, you know, from most of these guys are business oriented. So that's a big drawback. <coughs> the ownership structure is toxic. Um, they're, they're white supremacists. They're Nazi sympathizers. Uh, they profited off Holocaust labor. The the roster the roster situation is not great. You have an aging quarterback. You have to pay a ton of money. You have to you have to resign a you have to resign a wide receiver who's probably going to want a market resetting contract. Uh, you're you have a ton of you have a ton of expiring deals coming up. Um, you basically need to rebuild the defense from the bottom up. And and you have to and you have to convince a coach to come into a rebuild. Mm-hmm. So that's all that adds up to a, a fuck no. And here's what I'm worried about. Like now that now that Patricia and Quinn are fired, here's what I worry about. They're gonna hire someone like Lewis Riddick. Ugh. <coughs> Look, nothing against Lewis Reddick. I actually kind of like him in the Monday Night Football booth. I think he's actually pretty good. Um, he, I think he's definitely an upgrade over Booger, but mm-hmm. like, that's that's not saying a ton. But I can see them hiring someone like Lewis Reddick, who is on. If if you're if you worked a front office job in one of the four major sports and you're on TV, there's a reason for that. Right. <laughs> so I could definitely see the Lions hiring Lewis Riddick and then them, them, you know, doing the prodigal son thing and hiring Robert Sala. And I can absolutely see Sala being crushed under the weight of the expectations placed on him by the fans in the Detroit media. <clears throat> Lucas, I know you're not primarily a Lions fan, but, but what do you think? Um, I mean, I think the guy that they should try to go after for GM, I don't think he'll come here, but John Dorsey wouldn't be bad. He built a lot of that Browns roster that is succeeding right now. Um, He didn't draft Miles Garrett, but he built, you know, he drafted Mayfield. Mayfield hit and miss, but for the most part, he's been pretty good this year. Um, You know, and and they've had their first nine and three season in 26 years. So I think, you can kind of uh, give him a lot of credit for that. And, but you can't, I mean, but also he is the one who let Freddie kitchens get hired from being an interim coach. So that's the scary thing. That's the one thing I was going to say to Lions fans listening. Like if you want Bevel, that's, that's your prerogative. And I understand it and I'm not going to support you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why you want Daryl Blevel. Well, I'm, I'm, I, if, if you look at the Facebook, you know what I mean? You can see the, I call it the Facebook. I'm a boomer. Um, if you look at the Facebook comments, you know, under Lions fans, you have your homers saying that they want Bevel. Look at what happened with Freddie Kitchens with a much more talented team and a team with a shit ton of hype behind it because we all were hearing that bullshit. Super Bowl. Super Bowl for the Browns. And they went, I think they went 6-10. and 10, And – you know, Kitchens got fired, the rest is history. I think just no matter what, take your fucking time. 
take your time. Hire the GM first, and then everything else will fall in place. Like, get a guy who you can trust to build it. Don't do the Patriots. Like I said last week, don't do the Patriots way. Don't do, you know, the, the Andy Reid way. Like, just make your own path. You never know what could come up it. Um, but I really think it's going to be Robert Soleil, especially since our stupid GOP can – you know, rally together to form um, a letter to the Lions saying to hire Robert Soleil, but, you know, you can't fix the random shit that's going wrong in our state every day. Yeah, you can't you can't agree on COVID legislation and you get pissed off that Whitmer's doing shit on her own. But you can you can write a letter to Sheila and tell her to hire hire Robert Sala. That's that's fucking awesome. You can't give Flint clean water, but um yeah, Man, you can't. You really can't wants fucking, to come join. You can't hold any of the people accountable for the Flint water crisis, right? because the majority of you are responsible for the Flint water crisis. You fucking crooks. But you can go. We would really like it if you hire a water, please, <laughs> Fucking cunt, motherfuckers. All right, Carter. You know you're also on the outside looking in. Uh, the, the scenario I laid out, Lewis Riddick, GM, Robert Sala, head coach, like one to 10, where do you put that on terms of, on terms of being realistic? I'd probably say, I'd probably put it in the seven, eight range. I think Sala is like, just because the narrative fits it too well. I think he will probably end up as the Lions new head coach. Riddick is an interesting one. Um, I think I agree with you that I think that, you know, when there, when there's a guy on TV, there's a reason for that. Um, and when I saw Lewis Riddick come up as, as somebody who's been tied to the Falcons job, I saw old tweets that popped up where he called Eli Apple better than Jalen Ramsey. And right away I was like, um, I'm good on that. So uh, I, I don't know how likely it is. Actually. I mean, if it's the lions, I could definitely see it because you know, they, they, they want to make that higher that the, the fans would like just because Lewis Riddick is a recognizable name and face. So, you know, they'd want to do that to appease the fans. But I agree in the sense that they definitely also should not hire Daryl Bevel. Um, and I, and I, think that, I think that the Freddie Kitchens analogy is, is a perfect example, especially when, you know, it took you the entire game – to come back against a Bears team that is absolutely reeling. Mm-hmm. So so Bevel is not a guy I think should get a head coaching job. Um, Salah is probably going to end up as Lions head coach. I, I, I haven't really been able to pencil in a lot of, you know, foregone conclusions with who I think is going to get hired where this year, but I think that one would be the first one that I would probably make. Um, and Riddick is, I actually think, is more of a possibility. It's an intriguing one. It's probably not a great one, but I could see it happening. And I don't want anyone to get confused, right? I think right. what Robert Sala did with the 49ers defense is incredible. I think he's a genius. I think he'll be, he'll be a solid head coach, but he's not going to be a solid head coach here because he's going to be crushed under the weight of expectation. I know that that fart sniffer Mitch album – <clears throat> is already drafting an article for the front page of the free press the day the day after he gets hired. I know in his fucking gateway CRT fucking box computer that's still running Windows 98, he's 
he's got he's got a Robert Sala article ready to fire. I just know he does. He's had it typed for over a year. And that's the shit that's going to kill him. It's not going to be whether or not he's competent at being a head coach. It's going to be this the prodigal son, the the hometown kid who come to make good. It it crushed the greatest basketball player of all time. He had to fucking leave to go figure his shit out. I mean, that kind of pressure is is unmatched, especially in a place that hadn't won before, that hasn't been successful. So I really hope for Salah's sake he has enough common sense to wait and see if he gets hired a head coaching. If he gets hired anywhere else, there's going to be plenty of vacancies. I hope for his sake that he does not come to the Lions. That's what, I don't rail against Salah because I think he's going to be a bad head coach. I think he's going to be a great head coach. I think the way that the players talk about him. Oh, they love him. They love him. They love him. And that's something that Patricia didn't have when he was coming out of New England. Nope. He didn't have that kind of player support for a good fucking reason because he's a fucking asshole. One of the worst hires. Just remember, remember, he could be a rocket scientist, though. He probably should go be a rocket scientist. He don't know football. He has enough. He has enough money in the bank from the buyout. Just go fucking work and just go get an internship at Boeing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I think it's going to be Soleil. I think he's a good hire, but yeah, like you said, he's he's going to fail. And it's, it's and I. I hope he succeeds for all the Lions fans that I know, you know, my father-in-law, you know, you guys. And, but it's just not going to, nothing's going to change until someone else buys the team, whether it's by choice, the Lions sell or by force. I, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's like, it's like Thanos says, like, I am inevitable. Like, that's kind of how I feel right now is, is Lewis Riddick is going to be in the Monday Night Football booth here coming up in a, in, in a little bit and talking to Lions fans, and all I'm going to hear is I am inevitable. <laughs> I just watched that movie the other day. Um, yeah, I, man, I, I like Riddick. Like, I like hearing him talk, but – at the same time, I mean, you know, John Gruden was out of foot was out of coaching for like what ten years, and then, you know, he's not doing horrible in Oakland, but it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. And the so, thing I mean, with the thing ahead. with Gruden is too is like Gruden chose to walk away from football and go be a commentator. Right. Nobody forced him out. Like Lewis Riddick has been forced out. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, if, if Gruden wanted to go be an OC or a quarterback's coach somewhere, he could have been. But he was like, all right, I'll just go work for Monday Night Football until I go get another job. He was there a little longer than he thought he had to be, but it ultimately paid off. Yeah. Like, Lewis Riddick is, Lewis Riddick is on ESPN. The people who, who are former front office people – who go to work for ESPN or Fox Sports are because no one else wants them. No one was lining up to hire Bill Polian. You know? <laughs> the worst Lamar Jackson vendetta. Yeah, that 
that shit fucking <laughs> that shit's fucking awful. But that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. So you know, we'll I'm see. Sure, I'm sure we'll hear more in the next three four weeks. Yeah, the the lines are going to hire a firm. I think um, they're going to come back with some choices, and then uh, some fucking asshole in marketing is going to come down to Sheila and hand her hand her some tweets. And she's probably going to make the decision based off of that. So if you're an asshole who works in marketing at Allen Park and another asshole in marketing is planning to hand Sheila a bunch of tweets saying that, <laughs> saying that you should hire uh, Lewis Riddick, I need you to fucking cap that motherfucker before he gets to her and I will pay her legal fees. <laughs> that oh. is, that's a Spartan Dog 97 promise. That's, that's talking lions. You guys want to talk? You guys want to talk about Manuel a little bit before we go? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you know? You know, I I can't help but feel bad for Hayden Christensen because yeah. every principal actor in the prequel trilogy is going to get redemption in one form or another, except for Hayden Christensen. <laughs> That's a goddamn shame. Uh. We say that, of course, because uh, spoiler alert: if you're if you haven't watched Mando yet, uh, Couch Burner. If you haven't, yeah. if you're not cut up on Mando, just end the pod here. Go green, go white, go sponge. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna spoil. We're gonna spoil Chapter Fourteen: The Tragedy. But you know, Tamor Morrison, fucking Dad Bod Bulba, fucking lit. Uh, it was so cool to see him again. It's 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 awesome to see Robert. You know, Robert Rodriguez uh, is sneak sneakily has had some sneakily done some cool ass shit over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't checked out Machete or haven't seen it in a while, go <laughs> check it out. That movie fucking rules. But he directed this episode. He's directing next week's episode. <clears throat> and I think Favreau's got the finale. Ooh. Hell yeah. So, pretty pumped. Uh, we're in for a wild ride. Oh my god. Fuck me. So, uh, before I continue, I, I was speech delayed growing up, and I can't roll my R's. So, like, if you, if you hear my R's come out like W's, that's why. Carter, uh, you know, what did you make of the action of, of this week's episode of Mando? was awesome i mean you know seeing seeing uh boba fett come back was like second was like second jordan uh second bulls stint jordan (laughs) he's back uh that was pretty cool like um and i think they're setting up something pretty big like this episode like i thought so with the last episode before this one um john favreau is is pulling star wars out of the hole that it was in i mean with with all that he's been doing with this. It's, it's been really cool. And uh, they brought it back, I believe her name's Fennec. So that was cool. And uh, I mean, I think my, my favorite thing about this season is basically watching Giancarlo Esposito in anything is, is a, is a ride. It's a, it's a, it's an experience. Like his, his magnetism as a, as a big bad villain is just effortless. I love it. It's it's so great. Like he plays the role so easily. 
And I, you know, if, if we get to see a showdown with him and Mando, I think that's going to be super cool. I mean, <sighs> they, they, they definitely teased us at the end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with uh, Moff Gideon, John Carlo Esposito holding up a dark saber, yeah, to to Grogu. <coughs> Christ, I've been talking right. too long. Yeah, I've been talking too long. <laughs> uh, at the end of this episode, uh, call me crazy. Like I'm just gonna I'm gonna shoot my shot here. I think by the end, I think at the end of season two, Grogu is holding the dark saber. Hmm. I could buy that. I can kind of see that as yeah. being as kind of being the as kind of being the arc, right? Because think about it, Grogu is essentially a foundling, so he okay. has just a right to rule Mandalore as as a uh, Mando. He Mando has a real name, but it's it's fucking weird. No one ever calls him that, so I'm just gonna call him Mando, uh, or or Bo Katan. Or or Boba Fett, really. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Uh, Bill Bill Burr is com- Bill Burr's coming back. I, yeah, I'm okay. so excited. Uh, <laughs> I fucking love Bill Burr. His stand up's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I just saw. I just saw. Uh, I just saw a screen cap from a Conan appearance he did where he was like, where he was like the there's a guy who works for Nestle that says water isn't a human right. That guy should be tracked down and shot. <laughs> it's like, fuck yeah. yeah, Bill Burr, Bill Burr, fucking based baby. Uh, I never thought I'd see Bill Burr in a a a, a heavy a big time franchise, let alone the biggest franchise ever. Like that still jars me that I saw him in a Star Wars TV show last year, and that he's actually coming back for more. Like, and I remember he when he first got the gig, he's like, "I never thought I'd be doing this, but here I am." Uh, Boston uh, in space, yeah, boy. <laughs> Lots I'm, from of space. The, I'm from the Boston planet. <laughs> hey, Mandalore, what are you going to Dunkin' Donuts for us, Chief? Yes, yeah, Star Wars. I'm, I'm from Dunkin' Six, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> he kills a guy in the next episode. Says, "Go socks six six like the number <laughs> six like the number of rings Brady has." You fuck. <laughs> um, I really like the last two episodes have been great. Like this whole season's been so much better than the first one. Oh, not that the first one was bad; it was still a lot of fun. But like we, you know, people were out, kind of bitching. Like, why are we getting this like once a week like serial western where? He just helps people. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. It's different from other shit that we've seen with Star Wars. And I'm fine with it. Like, if you can't be entertained that simply, what entertains you? Um, But I like that it's leading towards this final arc for these next two episodes. Like, it started with episode five with seeing, excuse me, Ahsoka Tano um, directing him in the right spot. And then, you know, Boba Fett's back. And Boba Fett's like, you know, we're going to help you because the kid's not in your hands yet. You know, you, we, to quote Larry David, I fucked up and he's gone, but um, we'll get him back. Yeah. I, I, I really hope we get to see Grogu do something cool, even if it's not the dark saber, but like, yeah, just something crazy where he kills someone that's going to hurt Mando. Cause it's obviously he sees him as his father and um, 
Or yeah, he wields a dark saber and chops Moff Gideon's head off. Like all of a sudden becomes like a, a miniature Yoda. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear another another thing? I think this is more. This I think is more likely than Grogu. Uh, Grogu holding the dark saber at the end of the what? season. Uh, low key, I think we might get a little. We might get a little Force Ghost Yoda action. Oh my god! I really low hope key. so. Low lowest to keys. That would be, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know. Like, <laughs> then I, I get my Yoda grunt and I can be happy for him. I'm getting my, I'm getting my thinking cap on. We maybe get to hear Yoda speak a little bit of the native tongue. Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, um, maybe, I don't know. You, you know, okay. So I, I just want some clarification from you, Spartan. Like in the, in the episode with Ahsoka Tano, she said something about um, Grogu being in the Jedi temple. Does that mean he was there when um, Anakin went 12 on the Jedi? <laughs> Andy, yeah, Grogu posted an Instagram story. It was like, Andy <laughs> turned 12 on me. <laughs> Is, that's what I had to assume, right? Or did I hear wrong? No, I think, I, I don't know if he was in, yeah. I think he was, I think he was escorted out of the Jedi Temple in the wake of Order 66. Okay. Um, by someone, we're not sure. I think I think that's going to tie in more heavily to Rebels than it is the mainline movies. Like whoever the mentor character was in Rebels, I think is going to be is going to be the is going to be the guy who is going to be the guy who got him out. Hmm. But Rogue was just in the John when Anakin killed all those people, and then yeah, falls out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. I want to hear him talk. Does anyone else want to hear him talk? Well, here's the thing. I think he is talking. I think the grunts and the things are like his native language. That's why I'm saying like Yoda's going to speak a little bit of the native tongue. Hmm. Okay. All right. So that's that's my prediction. Uh, Carter, thanks for coming on, filling in. Uh, great, great to great to talk to you as always. Uh, thanks, bud. Yep. We'll be we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have you know we'll have a recap of Penn State. And the, the Virginia game uh, tomorrow because you're listening to this on Tuesday. Uh, fellas, go green. Go white. Go white. Go sponge. 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 Carter's dad, I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> I'll tell him to listen. <laughs> <laughs>